Good morning, saints. Cool. I want to pinpoint three, three lies of the enemy. Three lies of the enemy that are um, huge. And just um, for us to be aware of. um, And then ponder these things and allow the Holy Spirit to open your mind to what what I'm about to share because I think it will really, really prepare you and I for the future. Not so much the present, but present too on two out of these three lives, but one of these three, um, you'll be surprised, I think, will actually prepare us and more our children than us for the future. Okay. Lord, we just thank you that you do teach us. You need, as you said through John, we need no man teach us. But the anointing which abides within each believer shall lead us into all truth. And we shall abide in you. Lord, thank you for the awesome reality that the teacher is within us. The spirit of the living God. Lord, I thank you that we are sons and daughters of God this morning. Nothing changed last night. We woke up as your sons and daughters. Beloved of you. Cherished by you. Nourished by you. This is where we start every morning. Saying, hi, Papa. Good morning, Papa. Sons and daughters of the living God. For you, by your own word, brought us forth as a new creation. We simply received that word and the miracle took place. For all who receive him are given the right to be called the sons of God. Thank you, Lord, for the new creation. Thank you for new vision. Thank you, Lord, that you're teaching us to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Not ignorant of Satan's schemes and his ways, that we might stand strong in the evil day. In the full armor of God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. The first lie of the enemy that I'd like to talk about is it's kind of a a um, a review of what we shared last Sunday. Did you guys enjoy that last Sunday about how, why Satan wanted Moses' body? How he wanted the body of Moses to make a tomb, a sepulcher, a place where people could come and honor Moses because Satan's strategy, his weapon of first choice, his weapon of very first choice is the law. And what, which is why Paul says in the Corinthian letter, think it not strange that Satan himself can transform himself into an angel of light 
and his ministers, ministers of righteousness. 2 Corinthians. So the, the promotion or the glorification of the law is the weapon of first choice by Satan. Which is why in Colossians, the scripture says that Jesus disarmed the principalities and powers. He disarmed them by nailing the law on the tree. It's awesome. He took away their primary weapon, the law, to condemn and nailed it on the tree, Colossians. So he disarmed them not by taking away sin uh, uh, or the temptation to sin, that kind of thing. It's, it's more subtle than that. Satan knows that the law is the strength of sin. His, his, his main plan is not to get you to sin. That's easy. His main plan is to get you to try to keep God's laws because the law is the strength of sin. And the law is not a faith. So if he gets you on the track, if he keeps you locked into the track of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong, and keeps you a, in your thinking a law keeper, you're not walking in faith. So the life in you, if you're a believer, is quenched. And the grace of God is frustrated. The Galatian letter is all about Believers going back to the law, frustrating the grace of God, quenching the spirit of life because they're not walking in faith. So if the enemy can get you thinking as a law keeper instead of a believer, then you actually energize the power of sin in the flesh. For Paul says in Romans 7 that the flesh, the power of sin, is stimulated by law. Stimulated by law. So the end result, yes, is sin and a fleshly living. But the, the way he goes about it is very crafty. Very deceptive. Because it looks good. I mean, what could be possibly be wrong with exalting in the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses? And, we, of course, we know how Paul opened the secret about this whole thing and said, these are letters of death on tablets of stone. This is the ministry of condemnation. This was never meant to be followed as a way to God. This was, a, all, this was given by God to show us we could not do it. And when, those, when, when people get that revelation that we can't keep the law, that we can't be righteous in ourselves, then the secret is revealed. The way of grace, the way of faith. In Jesus himself. They who were seeking righteousness, the Jew, did not find it because they sought it by keep trying, to keeping the, trying to keep the law. The Gentiles who were not seeking righteousness found it because they heard the good news and simply believed. The Jews stumbled over the stumbling stone, which is Christ, the gift of righteousness. The Gentiles, it was not a stumbling stone to them because they weren't looking for righteousness. They had no dog in that fight. They had no agenda. They just heard the good news and received it. You see it? So this is, this is Satan's number one plan is to get you and I to focus on law. The satanic secret is this. This is really cool. The satanic secret is this. Is that he wants you to try to keep God's laws. How many times do you hear from the pulpit, churches across the world, the message is basically that. Try to keep God's laws. 
There's no mystery in the proclamation of what Jesus did. There's no revelation of, an, of, of a, a work so profound that it would turn the world upside down, the religious world upside down, which it did in the book of Acts. There's no understanding of a death and a resurrection and a new creation. There's no understanding of a new heart. There's no understanding of union with God. There's no understanding of sin not being counted against the believer anymore. There's none of that. But there is this emphasis of you need to try to keep God's laws. And some are more blatant than others. But that's the satanic secret. Now, what's God's secret? God's secret is this. Now, I'll use the word try because God is stretching forth his hand all the day long. He's reaching out all the day long that we would see and believe. He reaches, he wants us to see. He wept over Jerusalem. He's, you know, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. So I'll use the word try even on God's secret, and that's this. God is trying to get you and I and the world to believe that he has already kept all the laws for you. That's it. It's so simple. He has already kept all the laws for you. He's trying to get you to believe. Or the world to believe. You already believe here in this room. But I mean, the world is... That's what he's trying to do. He's trying, God is trying to get the world to see this great mystery of another taking our judgment for us and walking the, well, first walking the perfect righteous life without sin so he could be offered up in judgment for us. So he's trying, the God's secret is a call to rest. For he who has believed this secret has entered into God's rest, even as God did enter into his own rest when he finished his work. Hebrews 4. Isn't that awesome? The the satanic secret gets you uh, sweaty. And and God doesn't like sweat. Women. Women get dewy. And men sweat. Yeah. You know, God actually had the priests wear linen garments in the temple so they would not sweat. Just do a check on the word sweat in the Old Testament, you'll see God does not like sweat. And the reason why he doesn't like sweat, I mean, of course, he made sweat. It's good. You know. It cools the body. You know, it's a good thing. I'm not saying that. What I'm, what I'm saying is that God was saying something through that. He was saying, I don't want you to work so hard. This is my work. I'm doing this. I want you to enjoy me. I'm removing everything between you and me so that you and I can just go fishing. And have fellowship together and break bread together and be with each other. That's my heart is to be with you and you with me. I didn't redeem you so you could work for me. I didn't redeem you so you could be my employee. I didn't redeem you so you could prove your love to me. I didn't redeem you so you could be a good person and and show me that you're worthy of my grace. So, the satanic secret of God, no, the satanic secret is, is you need to try to keep God's laws, makes you sweaty and tired and burned out and dewy. <laughs> but God's secret, that he is trying to get us all to believe that he has already kept all the laws. 
as Paul says, all righteousness has been fulfilled in Christ. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all who believe. That secret brings rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. All right, that's the first, that's the first lie. That's a biggie because that goes to the heart of the gospel and all religion. You can have religion over here. All the religions over here and over here is the true gospel, the true good news. Okay, the second lie I just want to share a few thoughts about has to do with faith. Faith. You'll notice the first lie is an attack on faith in essence. It's trying to get you to do and not believe. All three of these lies relate to faith. Because what is the victory that overcomes the world? Even our faith. What above all else Paul says take as a weapon? Above all else take as a part of your armor. Above all else he says take the shield of faith. Because that will quench every fiery dart. Believe. Believe. Okay, so the second lie is, is this. Relating to faith. And it has to do with a distortion of the definition of grace. Okay? You have basically two approaches that's out there in the world, in the church world or in the religious world. Um, There's the legalist. And I would say over here, there's the Calvinist. The Calvinists actually are a lot like the legalists, but this is a little, little more subtle lie over here about faith. Very important that we understand what's going on here. Okay, legalist. The legalists say that grace, God's grace is really a combination of faith plus works. In other words, the legalists, if you really just bring it down to simple terms, the legalists are basically saying you can receive God's grace. You can receive God's grace if you believe plus works. Now, this has different forms, like you can have a, believe, a, a, a teaching that says you're, you believe and you're justified, but it takes works to be sanctified. We've heard, we've, um, Clark's been teaching a lot about how this whole, his book, in fact, is majorly addresses the issue of sanctification by works as opposed to sanctification by faith. As Sanctification, in other words, being a manifestation of what already is as opposed to sanctification being something you are trying to create or make happen by your effort. It's a big difference. You know, are you an orange tree even though you don't see oranges? Of course, that's true sanctification. You are a new creation. You are a son of God. It takes time for that fruit to be manifested. The legalistic view of sanctification is you're not really an orange tree until you prove yourself an orange tree by bearing fruit. So you're not, you don't become an orange tree until you have some oranges on that tree. And every religion or denomination has a different standard of how many oranges it takes to be considered holy. <laughs> Ten oranges in that, you know... The Pentecostals owe 25 oranges. 
and then you're, then you're considered holy, a son of God, an, or, an orange tree. And some of the primitive Baptists, you have to have five seasons of harvest of at least 50 oranges every year, and then we'll consider you holy. See, that's the kind of garbage that's out there, that thinking that because what's, what's seen is, is uh, the determining factor when Paul says, look not on that which is seen, but that which is unseen. Receive the reality of the unseen. You are an orange tree whether you have oranges or not. But if you are an orange tree in Christ, you will bear fruit, much fruit. It will come Amen. as you abide. That's, that's the promise of the Lord. So isn't that cool? All right, so the legalist have this thing that, oh yeah, you can receive God's grace, but, but it takes believing plus works. And this, in the, in the Roman Catholic Church, this is huge. It's almost like this is non-existent in a way because this is defined by this in the Roman Catholic Church. The faith is actually defined by the works. So it's really bad. And the Roman Catholicism tradition, and so that grace is, loses its meaning because it's, it's grace if you work for it. Well, if, if you, Paul says if, it's, if, if that's it, then grace is no more grace. You see? But that is the mindset. And then it gets better in the Protestant churches, not quite an emphasis on this, more of an emphasis on this in terms of justification, but not on sanctification. On sanctification or becoming more like Christ or becoming holy, big emphasis on works. Okay. So in doing so, grace, grace, true grace, pure grace, as Clark books the, the title, pure grace is distorted. And the gospel is distorted. Okay. Now, a more, subtle, a more subtle lie that the enemy uses to distort grace and destroy faith, because if faith is, if you, if you say you have to add works to faith, you destroy faith and you distort grace. Faith is no more faith if it, if it has, has to have works to receive grace. You see that? So you can destroy faith distort the real meaning of grace if you had works to it as one of the requirements. And that's rampant in the church, and that's what we're trying to address a lot in our teaching. Okay, the Calvinist, a lot more subtle. Calvinist says this. True grace includes faith. In other words, we're here to access grace. This teaching says you have to have faith plus works. The Calvinist teaching is that you can't even believe. Grace, true grace, is when God gives you faith to believe. And he only gives it to a certain select people, the elect. That's Calvinism. That's, that's Reformed theology, that only the elect, only a certain number of people are given faith so that even the faith itself is not yours. So by saying faith is included in sovereign grace as a gift to only the few that God chooses, and he withholds faith from those he does not want to save, that's Calvinism. That's Reformed theology. 
By saying that, you destroy faith. Because you're saying you can't do anything. You cannot believe. You cannot, no one can do anything. You can't even take credit for the faith you have. It's all God. Everything is God. And God chooses who he gives faith to and who he does not give faith to. And it's in the mystery of his counsel why he chooses not to save some. For, for, before the foundation of the world, he knew those he wanted to burn in hell and those he wanted to bring into heaven. That is Calvinism. That is Reformed theology in its simplest form. And they cannot deny it. That's what they teach. They sugarcoat it. They try to say, well, we don't know the wisdom of God. You know, no. It's not scriptural. The truth is this. God has given every human being the ability to believe. As a fish is given gills to live in the water and fins to swim, a bird is given wings to fly, God has given the human being the capacity to believe. Everybody has the ability. That is a God-given gift. God has given a gift to every human being, and that given gift to every human being is the ability to believe. You realize how powerful that is? Animals don't believe anything. They don't believe. Animals don't believe. Plants don't believe Only human beings believe. Animals move by instinct. In their DNA, God has put instinct in them. It's an amazing thing. Birds know when to migrate. They know when to fly. They know where to fly. They know where, you know, bears know where to hibernate and when to hibernate. All these things. Bees know what flowers to go to. All this, all this is all instinct. It's in the DNA. It's genius. But only man made in his image has the ability to believe. And you believe every day something. From a child you believed because you're a human being. See, faith is not the big deal. It's what you are putting your faith in. It's like when, when God said, take the blood of lambs and put it on the doorpost, Israel, before the night he was going to take them out of Egypt. God said, use hyssop branches, use the hyssop branches to dip in the blood of the lambs and put it on the doorpost because that, because that meant the judgment would pass you over. I'll see the blood of the lamb and judgment would pass you over, which is why it's called the Passover. And then they would be rescued from Egypt and bondage through the work of God. But why did he say hyssop? He said, take hyssop and take the hyssop from, from, the, from the, uh, the ground, pick it, And use it as a brush, like a paintbrush, to paint the blood on the lintel. The reason why he said hyssop is because it was common. It was everywhere. It was weeds. There were weeds. That was a picture of faith. See, the big deal is not the hyssop, it's the blood. That's why he said take hyssop because it's everywhere. They didn't have to go searching for a particular type of plant to obey God's commandment. They would be out there looking everywhere. Have you found it yet? No, I haven't found it yet. I think, have you found it? No, I haven't found it yet. I, I, I think Billy said he saw three on the hill. Let's go get it. No, it, it was everywhere. Hyssop was weeds. He said just take a weed. It's called hyssop. Take one of those weeds because it's not about faith. It's about the object of our faith. It's about the blood of the Lamb that's important, not your faith. We don't, be, we don't have faith in our faith. Like Hazel said a couple of Sundays ago, we don't have faith in our faith. Our faith is in Him. One, one uh, famous missionary, I forget his name, I think he went to China. He said, he said, we don't need great faith. We need faith in a great God. 
And that's so true. To see him as he is, faith increases and grows strong automatically. It's like your eyeball. Malcolm Smith said this about the eyeball. He said, he said, are you conscious of your eyeball? Malcolm Smith said, you're not conscious of your eyeball when you're looking at something. I mean, you, how, how many times do we think about the eyeball when we're looking at something? We don't even think about the eyeball. We're, looking, we're thinking about what we're looking at. That's what, how faith is. We just start looking at him. We don't focus on the eyeball. We focus on, my God, what I'm seeing. So, all right, so this... Every human being is given the ability to believe, but not all believe on Jesus. That's why the scripture says, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. There is a choice. There is a choice that's part of being made in the image of God, into the sovereign image of God. There's a piece of his sovereignty he put in you. You have a choice. You're made in his image, not a robot. You're not a robot. You're not predestined to do certain things and say certain things and believe certain things. No. As Jesus turned to his own disciples, he said, will you also go away? Because they could have gone away. And Peter says, where else can we go, Lord? Only you have the words of life. And then he smiled and said, let's go. See? So everybody has a choice to believe. And we're made that way by God as having that ability to believe. But not all believe the, the good news as they hear it because of whatever reason. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes, you know, whatever the reason. And they don't believe. But he's reaching out to all. For God is not willing that any man should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of the truth. As John said, he died not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Very clear. He tasted death for all men, the scripture says. Behold, if I be lifted up between heaven and earth on the cross, I will draw all men to me. He draws all men, but not all men receive. Some harden their heart and receive not. But those who did receive him are given the right to be called the sons of God. We had a message a while back on this, how that while there's two thieves, while there were two thieves, you know, one a believer, one an unbeliever. God was showing thereby that Christ was being crucified and they were being crucified with him at the same time as the father paints this picture that he died not only just for the believer but for the unbeliever too. They were both being crucified with him. But one received heaven and life and one did not. One believed, one did not. But he died for both categories of men, believer and unbeliever, which is why there's two thieves on either side of Christ. One believer, one unbeliever, dying at the same time as Christ. A perfect picture of what he did for the whole world. For God loved the whole world. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we have a choice. We can believe and anybody can be saved. The Calvinist, the Reformed theologian cannot say to anybody on this street, you can be saved. Can't. Not with confidence. He can only say, I hope that, I hope you're one of the elect. I, I really sincerely hope you're a good kid. I hope you, get, I hope you can get saved. I hope so. But they can't with confidence say, you can go to heaven. You can believe. If you will believe, you can be forgiven. And God can become your dad. We can say with confidence to every person on the earth that if you will believe, you will be forgiven. That's God's heart. That's why the, the Calvinists, they have a big struggle about evangelism. They're like, well, why should we evangelize? I mean, they have this, you know their answer to that? It's our duty. We have to obey God's commandment. He, he, obey, he has commanded us to evangelize, to preach the gospel, but 
they have a problem with that because it doesn't fit that template, doesn't fit that mindset. But the true gospel fits it easily. Shout from the housetop, spread the word, tell everybody, call them all to the wedding feast. For the king's son has got an invitation for everybody. Awesome. Okay, so what happens in this view of faith that it's included in the definition of sovereign grace, it destroys faith that way. So here faith is destroyed by adding works to it to access grace. Here, grace is defined as including faith, as including a sovereign act where God puts faith in you to believe. If that were true then God would put faith into everybody, faith unto salvation, because he doesn't want anyone to be lost. But what he does do, he creates us in a way that we all have the ability to believe, but we can choose to believe or not. You see, what, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. Salvation, faith unto salvation comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. What happens is the entrance of his word, this is just real quick, the entrance of his word brings light, the scripture says. That's why Jesus says the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and live. Unlike Calvinism and Reformed theology teaches that you can't can't believe because you have to be raised from the dead first and recreated new sovereignly by God before you can even have faith. No, Ephesians says after you believed, after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The scripture says because you are sons in Galatians, you are given the spirit of the Son which cries Abba. See, so faith arises in the unbeliever because of the entrance of his word, which brings light, and they can choose to believe that light or not. It's like the woman at the well who tastes of the water. If you taste of this water, woman, it will become in you a spring of water, but you can taste it. You see that? That's why, how can they believe unless there be a preacher? How how can there be a preacher unless he be sent? See, Paul is saying that the whole world can receive this light. Your words are powerful. When you speak your words, when you speak the word of the gospel, the good news, the finished work of Christ, there's this laser light that's going out among the dead. Those who are dead in transgressions, like we were. And all they have to do is, in their prison cells, see that light and say, I believe. And that light fills the prison and opens the doors and the ceiling comes off and there's blue sky and the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of Man and live again. And live. Much like Lazarus who was dead. Lazarus! Come forth. You know? So what is, what is the true understanding of faith? It's all of grace. God's work is all of grace, but it must be accessed by faith, which he has given every human being the ability to believe or not believe. So we simply choose to believe that he has done it, which means anybody can be saved. It doesn't mean, it doesn't include any addition of works. And it is not this distorted view of grace, which says only a select few get this special faith. No, it's for the whole world. As we simply believe what God has done. Isn't that cool? Okay, those are two big lies of the enemy trying to distort the definition of grace and trying to destroy faith. This destroys faith. That's why the Calvinists are really big on the Ten Commandments. 
The Calvinists and the legalists are really big on the law. Why? Because they, they're not accessing the life. Faith is being destroyed in this, think, this way of thinking. It's being destroyed because you're not exercising the muscle of faith. You're not believing because God's given me faith. Like it's, it's all God. It's not me. I can't do anything. It, it seems like a noble thing to say. I can't do anything. I, you know, it's not, it's not me. It's all God. But you know what happens? The deception is they get cold. They don't have the, 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 the desire for others to believe because it's all God. They're going to they're gonna believe. God's going to have them believe. You know, if not, not. I can't do anything about it. Faith is anemic, so they have to focus on the law a lot. They teach that the law, the Ten Commandments, are the rule of life for the believer, that, that it's very important to stick with the, the law, even though you're a believer. And in some Calvinist and Reformed thinking, is the Spirit now has been given to you to keep the law. Rampant. So anyway, it's, this is all part of the work of the enemy to get us from the simplicity of grace in Jesus and the simplicity of the response of faith for all people, whoever, whosoever will, let him come. Okay. Okay, last lie, third lie. This is a little out of the box. This is the one I think that we need to be aware of, not so much for us, but for our children. This third lie of the enemy has to do with aliens. Aliens. There is a satanic strategy which has been in place for decades with UFOs, with ET, with encounters of a third kind, with Alien, the movie, the latest Prometheus out now. The whole strategic work or the satanic lie that is being promulgated, which our kids are being inundated with, is that we came from aliens. That aliens actually visited our planet and engineered us long ago. The Mayan runways, I'm telling you, it's rampant. There is book, there are books, there are movies, there are thoughts, and our young kids are receiving this more than we are because they've heard it from, their, from a child. The lie of the enemy is to promote this thought that there's really not a God. We were engineered by aliens. Be aware, saints, this lie can even get in you. Or the, another nuance of this lie is that aliens are evidence that we can evolve to where they are. Contact, Jodie Foster, the movie, was all about this, that we can evolve. Small steps, remember? Jodie Foster goes through the wormhole. When man was intelligent enough to receive the instructions to build the ship to go through light, time, then she could see the next evolution. She cried. She goes, they should, have sent, they should have sent a poet. The beautiful lights of this other civilization. Powerful saints. It's powerful, powerful on our young kids' minds. And that lie, it's the same thing, aliens, but it's, it's, it's the lie that we can evolve. 
We can be what these guys are centuries, millennia later. In the movie Prometheus, 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 that's out right now, the robotic android David says to the girl actor who has a cross on, he says, now that they have discovered our, our creator or these other beings who engineered us, he says to her, I guess you'll get rid of that cross now. This is the movie. I guess you should get rid of that cross now, seeing that we didn't come from God. We came from these aliens. They engineered us. She held on to it anyway. And then, what was that other line? There's like two or three lines that just stand out like red letter, boom. Make no mistake about it. This is, this is a strategy. I mean, in the middle of this science fiction movie, they're talking about the cross. Be wise as serpents. David eventually takes the cross off her neck later in the movie. This is what our kids are watching. This is what our kids are thinking. Oh, this is so cool. The special effects. This is awesome. But it's getting in their heads. And then after, at the, toward the end of the movie, she puts the cross back on. And David, the android, says, after all this and after all you know now that, you, that there's no God created you, you still want to wear that thing? You still want to wear the cross? It's the voice of Satan. If it, it's no accident that the cross is talked about in this movie. Prometheus. She kept it. She kept the cross. But, it, but she didn't, it's, it's, so, it's so messed up. But now she wants to go see where these aliens are from. She's, and then, oh, the movie ends, and I'm still searching. I'm still searching. Now I want to find out where these aliens came from who made the humans, who engineered the humans. The third lie, the third lie of the enemy is to discount that there is a God at all. It's going to be trendy and hip to believe in UFOs, to believe in aliens. It is right now. Young, young believers are being inundated with this thinking as opposed to the simplicity the scripture says, I'll close with this. Because they did not receive the love of the truth, God shall send strong delusion upon the earth that they might believe a lie because they did not receive the love that comes from the truth. That's what it says. It doesn't say not because they didn't love the truth. They didn't receive the love that comes from the truth. They didn't receive the love. And these, alien, these aliens, by the way, in the movie Prometheus are very mean, cruel, cruel. They didn't receive the love of the truth. So God shall send strong delusion upon the world. There'll be a time when God says, that's it. I've stretched forth my hand all the day long and he'll allow a strong delusion to settle in upon the earth. Gross darkness shall cover the earth and cover the peoples, but his light shall rise upon you. And they shall believe a lie. They shall put their hope and faith in something that's a lie. That aliens are their hope. And God himself shall be revealed in glory. And they will 
weep and they will gnash their teeth because they didn't believe and receive the love of the truth. I'm not sure. It's in Thessalonians. I think first, well, I'm not sure first or second Thessalonians, but God shall send strong delusion because they did not receive the love of the truth. Thessalonians. You guys encouraged? Be aware. Be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Three lies of the enemy. Big, big, big. Those are three big lies. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for helping us see these things. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the reality. They who know their God in this hour shall be strong and do exploits. Amen.